Welcome to Seven Mile Ministry. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning. Y'all hear me out there? Man, I sound loud to myself. But uh, before we get going, we've got a uh, young lady that's been with us for a while, and she says she's tired of these Alabama rednecks, and she's going back to New York. I'm just kidding, but uh, Heidi is, uh, today's her her last day with us, isn't it? So we got you a little card, a little, little gift here from the church. So before y'all leave today, hug her neck and tell her you're going to miss her. And I know she's made some friends, and you can still be friends when you're in New York with friends with somebody in Alabama. Amen? So this week as I was... Um, Thinking about building on last week's sermon and just thoughts rolling around. Um, yesterday we, we had a little uh, dirt bike race. And um, just in, in, in two minutes time, just standing there uh, praying and asking the Lord what he, he wanted me to share yesterday. Um, well, what I shared yesterday was, now usually it's a, a solution to, to problems. Uh, backed up by the Word of God, which the Word of God is the solution to the problems. But yesterday was more like a specific word for someone, and uh, I'll be honest with you, I felt like an idiot up there uh, saying what I said. Uh, but afterwards, when a 50-year-old grown man comes up to you, and his eyes are full of water, and he's holding back the tears, and he said, that was me. Then all of a sudden, you don't feel like an idiot anymore. Amen? Um, so, anyway, I'm, I'm really just going to pick up from where I left off yesterday at the race, and, uh, and go with it from there, okay? So... Um, my sermons change is what I'm telling you. So I think we do have a specific word for um, specific people this morning. I'm going to read right here in Genesis real quick, and we'll get going right here in Genesis, the 21st chapter, starting in the 15th verse. It says, And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed a boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance of about a bow shot. For she said to herself, let me not see the death of my boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar. He called Hagar out of, to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise. Lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We came in here with listening ears, receptive hearts. We're ready to hear your word. We're ready for our lives to be changed. We're ready for our eyes to be opened. And we're going to leave out of here better than we came in. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. And we are going to leave out better than we came. We're going to leave out better than we came. I know everybody here has had a dream before. And uh, I've had some dreams. And I've had some good ones and some bad ones. The bad ones we call nightmares, don't we? So I've had some good dreams. And you wake up and you realize... That what you really have is not what was in your dream, and it's kind of disappointing. Like, have you ever had a dream that you didn't want to end? You know, like 
maybe you're a millionaire and you just had all this money or, or something great like that and you wake up and you realize you don't have any more money than you did when you went to sleep. You're like, dang, that was good while it lasted. Or dreams, you know, maybe you're a single guy and you got a lot of girls chasing after you and then you wake up and realize you ain't got nobody chasing after you. Maybe you're a single girl and got some rich dude wanting to marry you. And then you wake up and realize it's just the same old guy you've been dating. He ain't got any money. But you can have a nightmare too. And I've had some nightmares. Everybody's had some nightmares. I can say the worst nightmare I've ever had was probably maybe just three or four years ago. And in my nightmare, my wife had decided she just didn't want to be married to me anymore. So she came and she told me she don't want to be married to me anymore. She's moving on. And, and uh, I remember it was so vivid and so real. And I woke up and my heart's beating really fast. I'm sweating. And I'm like, reach up. Okay, you're still there. Um, but that, that's a nightmare. That's, that's a bad one. And everybody's had nightmares before. You have a dream, a nightmare about someone. You, you call and check on them after you, after you, you know, the next morning. And... Um, so the boys, uh, we went to this race, like I said, yesterday, and I opened the back seat, the door, and there's some uh, little round things in there called Uncrustables. And they're peanut butter and jelly with no crust. And they're individually wrapped. Well, I've never seen them. I've never had one. But I saw them sitting there, and I was like, hmm. Well, a little while later, I got hungry. I got thinking about those Uncrustables. I said, let me check these bad boys out. So I go over there and open one of them up, and it's peanut butter and jelly. And I take a bite out of it, and I'm like, where have you been my whole life? This is pretty good. This is really good. So a little while later, I got to thinking about those things again. I went over there and ate another one. When we got home last night, we're unloading everything. It looks like a bomb went off. Let me tell you, the truck inside and out. But I remember getting out of the truck, and I remember seeing an Uncrustable sitting in my cup holder in the back seat. And I just remember it. Well, I woke up this morning extra early, set my alarm to get up this morning, spend some time with the Lord, and I got up and I went in the kitchen, and I was thinking about that Uncrustable. I ain't going to lie. So I grabbed my keys, and I went out there, and I got it out of the truck, and I went inside, and I got a Gatorade out of the refrigerator, and I unwrapped that thing, and I took a bite out of it, and I'm like, what in the world? Anyway, I, the first two were delicious. They were peanut butter and jelly, and this thing was full of some kind of hazelnut chocolate disgusting stuff that's a nightmare you know what I mean I literally was dreaming about that peanut butter and jelly and went out there and uh, what a nightmare but anyways everybody knows what I'm talking about dreams and nightmares and God gives us those are silly dreams but I'm talking about for real dreams dreams in life and God gives each and everybody here dreams and he's got a purpose, a plan, and a destiny for you. A lot of people don't ever end up in their destiny because they choose to do their will rather than God's will. But God's got a destiny for you, a place he wants you to be, a, a, a final stop, if you will. And there's bumps along the road and along the path we take. And, of course, we make mistakes and we learn and grow from them. And, um, um, but there is a destination. And uh, a dream is a God-given projected destiny. A dream is a God-given, projected destiny. You, you see it out there. In other words, you just get a little glimpse of your destiny. In other words, you, you see it out there. 
You see a little bit of it out there. You see uh, who He sees in you. God's got a dream for you. He's got a destiny for you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. Every single human being on planet Earth is important to God, and He's got a, a destiny for you. And uh, uh, these, a dream is, you know, uh, where you'll, you'll be when God places His hand on your life. And heaven has dreams, and hell has nightmares. Hell has nightmares. So, life's full of nightmares. But one thing I've learned in my life, and I was talking to my wife about it this morning a little bit, um, if you're going to see the dream, you're going to have to endure the nightmare. Because let me tell you, adversity is there, adversity is coming, and adversity will advance, and adversity will attack you, because hell doesn't want you to experience heaven's dream. Hell's nightmare. Where I was talking to my wife, and she's like, she reminded me of Cinderella. Yeah, her evil was the stepsisters and stepmama and all that stuff. They didn't want her to to go to the dance, the ball or whatever, and they didn't want her to have a pretty dress. And anyway, you know, what the mice turn into horses and pumpkin turns into a carriage and all that stuff. And she's got to be back by midnight. And she runs off. She loses that slipper, you know, and then the prince comes and he's trying to put the slipper on her sister's fat feet. I mean, her sister's fat feet, and they won't fit. And they've locked her up there in that room to keep her from coming down. And anyway, she comes down. Best I remember, you know, it's not like I just sit around and watch Cinderella all the time. But they're trying to keep her. That's a dream. That's a dream. And she's going to get to marry the princess. She's going to get to live in the palace. He's a good-looking dude. She's a good-looking gal, but... Her ugly old stepsisters and mean old stepmama is trying to keep her from that. That's, that's hell's nightmare trying to keep you from heaven's dream. You understand what I'm saying? And, uh, you know, Calvary was a pathway um, to a dream. But along the way, I'm telling you, it looked like a nightmare. Um, Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Who am I? He asked his disciples, and they're guessing, trying to figure out who he is. And Peter said, You're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered, said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. In other words, on this revelation of what you just got, that I'm the Messiah, the Son of the uh, living God, I'm the Christ. But he says, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. So Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But hell did uh, try, in other words, there were nightmares along the way. Hell tried to stop it by nailing him to a cross. Hell tried to stop the church from being built, from the dream from being fulfilled by uh, Jesus being wrongfully accused, stripped down, tied to a whipping post, beat, carrying the cross, being nailed to it, crucified. Hell tried to stop it, but guess what? You know, it was a nightmare, but guess what? On the third day, when he come walking out of the tomb, there's the dream. But there's always a nightmare before the dream. I reflect back in, in, in my life and I can see it. Things I've gone through that seem like a nightmare. A nightmare that you, will I ever wake up from it? But guess what? There's a, there's a dream at following the nightmare. It's just enduring the nightmare. And sometimes you walk through some things in life and, um, you know, you just feel like you're 
You know, living nightmare. People say, I feel like I'm living on uh, hell on earth. You've heard that expression before. And um, you're not. Because there's nothing we can experience here that's going to be anything like hell, I can tell you. I ain't getting any amens on that, but it's still the truth. But God's got a purpose for us. Um, And He wants you to have a sense of destiny. He wants you to have a dream. And, you know, not just to walk through life aimlessly. And I've walked through life aimlessly, and you know, and just wake up one day and start reality hits, and it's like there's got to be more to life than getting up early and going to work all day and coming home and, and, and taking all the money you made to disperse it out the best you can to pay your bills. Amen. And then to get up and go back the next day and to hope you get off, you know, do something for the weekend or whatnot. I mean... And the next thing you know, it's Monday morning again, and it's just like 20, 30, 40, 50 years goes by, and you just kind of like, what? There's got to be more to life than this. There's got to be more to life than there is. He has a purpose and a plan, a God-given destiny, a dream for each and everybody here's life. He doesn't want you to go wandering through life with, with nothing. You understand? So dreams inspire you to reach, to reach, to reach out, to get out of the comfort zone. Um, most most dreams and things like that are fulfilled by people stepping out of the comfort zone. In other words, you get right here and, and he says you take one more step. But then human reasoning kicks in and it doesn't look like I should take another step because there's a cliff there. And human reasoning, when you start weighing it out, looking at, at, at what makes sense in our little minds, uh, doesn't always line up with the dream that God gave you. Because he'll call you to step out. Step out on the limb, right? And to do things that are beyond what we're capable of doing. And by the grace of God, He gives you the strength and the ability to do things that you can't do on your own. Amen. So, dreams are, uh, like I said, God's given uh, projected destiny and, and nightmares, trials in life, setbacks in life, adversity in life. Life is full of trials. Life is full of setbacks. Life is full of adversity. Satan, the adversary, he's real. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy each and every day. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He doesn't want your your dream to be fulfilled. He is out to attack you. And it's real. Now, a lot of people just go through life like that's not real and it's not Satan and pretend that he's not out there. But you can... can, uh, um, Pretend that it's not real, but that doesn't change the fact that it is real. And I was thinking about um, nightmares and being in a dark place and being, uh, you know, the hell on earth, so to speak, type thing. And I was just uh, thinking that um, that's that's when I found out who I really was in a dark place. When I got down to the dead end road with nowhere else to go and no way out, that's when uh, I would say self-discovery took place. And I found out who I really was. That's, who I, that's when I found out who I really was and I wasn't what other people had said about me. And you're not what other people say about you. Now there's this thing called self-discovery. You can dis- discover self when you go through these hard times and you're down in these valleys. 
Not on top of the mountain, but down in the valley. That's when it gets real. That's when we're going to find out who you really are, what you're really made of. And in the flesh, we understand that. You're talking about finding out what a man's made out of. When you put him between a rock and a hard place, or he's down in the valley, you're going to find out what you're made of. I'm talking about spiritually. Down in the valley. Find out what you're made of. And um, like I said, self-discovery. Other people can put a stamp on your back and tell you who you are and what you are. And I'm talking about even in ministry. People, you know, they have these tests now that you go, and we don't do it here, but some churches do. You take a test and you write out and you answer some questions and they tell you what ministry you should be in. I disagree with it. They say it's pretty, that it, that it works well. Well, maybe it does, but I don't need another man to tell me what ministry I should be in based off of a little test I filled out. The Lord will put you in the ministry as long as you're uh, seeking Him and you're obedient to Him and you're surrendering your life to Him and you're doing His will and not your will. The, the door for the ministry, the area He wants you to be in, it's going to open up. The stars are going to line up. But don't go by uh, what other people, you know, they're going to put a stamp on your back. You think about in high school, all the stamps put on people's backs just based off what they wear to school. First day of school, they come walking in with something. Whoops, there's the stamp. That's right. And... Um, Another thing is, uh, I would say, down in the, the dark place, is, uh, was a God discovery for me. A God discovery. And you say, well, God's the light. He's not in the dark. He is in the dark. He is in the dark. I can prove it to you. Then spake Solomon. The Lord said that he would dwell in the thick darkness. Some scriptures say that he's in the dark cloud. What does that mean? That means when you're down in the darkness, when you're in the dark place in life, and when you feel like there's a dark cloud over your head that you can't seem to get out from under, and maybe just, just, just when the sun starts shining a little bit, bang, there's that stupid dark cloud again. And you start making a little advancement in marriage, things are going good, and then all of a sudden this dark cloud is just chasing you around everywhere you go. Well, the Lord will speak to you in the, dark, in the darkness. He hasn't left you. He hasn't forsaken you. And sometimes you feel you're lonely and don't understand things and it's dark. Have anybody here ever felt lonely where you just didn't understand things? And, and at that time, it seems like that's the time in your life that you really need a word from the Lord and, and God just chooses to go silent on you. And you don't hear anything. You're in a dark place. You don't understand. Lonely, feared, afraid, scared, confused. Lord, talk to me. And you don't hear anything. That's an opportunity. Are you going to stand on the Word? Are you going to stay in faith? Are you going to go by the Word that I've deposited in your heart? Or are you going to start going by human reasoning? I'm just talking about personal experiences here. I'm just being transparent. That's things I've experienced. Um, I don't understand it. But I tell you this, when you go through those nightmares, you think about Job going through the nightmare and Satan was talking a whole lot, wasn't he? And when Job come out the other end and got blessed twofold, Satan shut his mouth. Well, about when Jesus come walking out of the tomb, what Satan had to say about that? That'll shut you up, won't it? Jesus proved it. Job proved it. What about Joseph? Joseph is, uh, is uh, Jacob's 
favorite son. Now, he has other sons. There was other sons that were born before him, right? And then here he comes along. He's the youngest. And, and we're not talking about types and shadows today, but let me tell you, from the beginning of that story to the end of that story, it's all about Jesus. Every bit of it is about Jesus. You can see Jesus' types and shadows all in it. There was others that came before Jesus. Other, Jesus had Jewish brothers. Guess what? There was one that was chosen, wasn't there? And his name was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jacob had one son that was chosen. But Jacob grows up, he has these dreams, and he says, in my dreams, everybody's bowing down to me. Isn't it something that in Isaiah and in Romans and in Philippians, it all says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is our Lord? That's another type of shadow. But anyway, Joseph has these dreams, and he tells his brothers about his dreams. Hey, let me tell you about my dreams. Well, they already didn't like him because he's a favorite. It appears that he was the favorite, so they're a little jealous, a little envious. They already don't like him. Then he comes in and says, yeah, y'all going to bow down to me. Well, then they really didn't like him. So then they're out working one day. His dad sends them out to check on him. Then they grab him. And most of you know this story. Some of you don't. I won't act like none of you don't. None of you know it. None of you do. They threw him in the pit. So now he's been thrown down into the pit. And they're going to kill him. And then women's brother said, no, let's don't kill him. Let's just sell him. So he sold him. He was sold to a caravan that was traveling through going to Egypt. Just like Jesus was sold out. Jesus, uh, Judas sold, sold him out for, that's right, for a few little pieces of silver. Then he's put on the auction block and Joseph is um, sold to Potiphar. Now he's a slave. He's a slave. Now you're talking about a kid that had a dream. These people are going to bow down to me. I'm obviously going to be somebody. Now my own brothers, my own flesh and blood have thrown me into a pit and sold me out. Just like Jesus' own uh, Jewish brothers sold him out. And then Potiphar's wife, uh, he, well, Joseph gained some favor there with Potiphar. And uh, things are going better for him. But then Potiphar's, Potiphar's wife lies. He's wrongfully accused. Jesus was lied. They lied about Jesus, and he was wrongfully accused as well. And Joseph was arrested and thrown in prison. Guess what? They came in and arrested Jesus and took him to jail just the same. And Joseph is down here in prison. Now, what about my dream? What about the dream? Things are, they got bad. Then they got worse. Then they got a little better. Now it's worse than that. It's bad. It can't be much worse. I'm in prison. My head's on the chopping block. I'm on death row, so to speak. And like I said last week, prison then and prison now is a, a little bit different. They didn't have AC and cable television. And there's some dreams that he in, interprets for some people. He said, don't forget about me. And they forgot about him. And two years later, Joseph interprets a dream for Pharaoh and Pharaoh brings Joseph and seats him at the right, his right hand. And he said, basically what he said was, nobody's getting to me unless they come through you. What you say goes. You are the right hand of the throne right here, my throne of authority. And you know what? Jesus Christ has raised up from the dead seat at the right hand of authority. And you don't go to God unless you go through Jesus. And Joseph became the bread of life for, for the entire world, if you want to know the truth. But the known world at that time, he became the bread of life. And you know what Jesus says to you and I? The bread of life to the entire world. 
But my point for telling that whole story is there was a dream there, a God-given dream, a destiny where Joseph was supposed to wind up, where everybody was going to bow down, and it came to fruition just like the dream that was given. But along the way, look at the nightmares. Nightmare after nightmare after nightmare after nightmare. Now, we've experienced some bad things. I've never been thrown in a pit by my brothers. I've never been sold into slavery. I've never been wrongly accused and thrown into prison. I don't even know what that's like. The worst thing that's happened to me is a million times better than what happened to Joseph. So my nightmare kind of seems kind of puny. I went to load some lumber this week and the guy, he said, man, he he stopped. He goes, I got a splinter and he pulled it out. He goes, man, yesterday I got this splinter. It's so big. He said, went in my finger and come out the other side. I've had that same thing happen before. Yeah, it hurts. And I said, oh, really? I said, well, take a look at this right here. I knocked my elbow off. He goes, oh, well, that, that kind of makes that splinter story kind of. When you think about how things bad are in your life, you can just look at Joseph's life and you're like, you know, I got it pretty good. And let me tell you, this elbow's not anything compared to what Probably some of you have been through, I understand. Everybody's got a worse story, don't they? But nightmares along the way, at any time Joseph could have gave up on the dream, but he didn't. He says God was with him. God was with him in the pit. God was with him when he was sold. God was with him on the auction block. God was with him in Potiphar's house. God was with him in the prison. Amen. I think about 1979, somewhere around there. I don't know. I used to know a little more about it than I do now when I was a kid. But uh, there's, a, there's a very popular picture of the goal line stance where Alabama played Penn State, and they stopped them every play right there within inches. And some of y'all have seen the picture. You know what I'm talking about. I think Penn State was number one, Alabama was number two, something like that. And they stopped them. It's a very popular uh, picture painting, and if you're in anybody's office that's a big Alabama fan, they've always got that one up. But when you go marching down the field in a football game, and you know, you throw it out here to the receiver and you pick up 10, 15, 20 yards, then we're going to run this way, pass that way, do this, and you're moving down the field. But when you get down there inside the 10 yard line, or you get down there inside the 5 yard line, you'll see some people come off the field and some people come on the field. The people that come on the field are big, nasty, and their breath stinks. You know what I'm saying? It's the goal line defense. They're going to do what these guys, maybe they, they don't have the endurance possibly to pay, play the whole game. I don't know. But they're good for a few plays, and they're going to clog up the middle, and you ain't coming through. It's the goal line defense. They tighten it up. The closer you get to the end zone, the more adversity there is. The stronger the defense becomes, the stinkier their breath gets. I don't really know if they got stinky breath. That just sounded like a good thing to add in there. But you know the same thing in life, and I told a guy that this morning that's experiencing some adversity. But you know, you can be going down the football field in life, and you know you might get a couple penalties and setbacks, but we're still coming down the field. We're still making some headway in our marriage in our finances, in raising our children, in our business, or even in your own spiritual walk, or whatever it is. But then it just seems like the closer you get down there to that goal line, the more adversity 
The more Satan wants to fight you, the more demons he sends out to you, the more adversity. And I'm talking to somebody here this morning or maybe a handful of people who know what I'm talking about. You've been going down the field and it just seems like you're just right there at the end zone and you just can't seem to get it in. There's just more and more adversity. And the more you press, the more pressure, you, more resistance you feel. People say, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing it right. And I agree with that. But let me tell you this. If it's worth doing, it's worth failing at. If it's worth doing, it's worth failing at. Because being Christ-like is worth doing, and you're going to fail at it. But you know what? Your failures don't make you a failure. The only thing that will make you a failure is if you quit. And you don't quit on what you truly believe in. Jacob, in the 28th chapter of Genesis, Jacob Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night. Because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones of that place and put it under his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. He took a stone and put it under his head. He took a stone and put it under his head. Then he laid down to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven, and there were angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie will give you and your descendants. All your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I'm with you and will keep you wherever you go. And will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave uh, you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone, the same stone he had his head on, and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. The pillow become the pillar. He had his head laying on the stone and the pillow became the pillar. And he named the, he changed the name of it. It was named Luz. And he changed the name to Bethel, which is house of God. And what's interesting is I looked up that lust and I wanted to see what that was. And it said that that was a bone. And the religious people of that time said it was a bone that could not be broken. And that bone would be used um, well, paraphrase it, to lead people to the Lord one day. To lead people to the church, to establish the church one day, something along those lines. But it was an unbreakable bone, 
unbreakable bone and the house of God, the name had now been changed to the house of God. So you take the unbreakable bone in the house of God and just what Joshua's talking about, Jesus was crushed, but none of his bones were broken. And the church was built on the bone. That's pretty interesting. I like stuff like that. It's pretty cool. But he named it Bethel, the house of God. It's where he had his head laying on a rock. He said there's types and shadows all in the Bible. You, you, you fast forward to the New Testament in John, like the 13th chapter, and John is laying his head on the rock, which is Jesus Christ. It says he's reclining and he's got his head on the chest. Some translations said the breast and some said the bosom. He's got his head laying on Jesus, the rock. And you know what happens when you put your head in the right place? <laughs> you got to get your head in the game. You got to get your head in the right place. Your head needs to be uh, on the rock. So John's on the Isle of Patmos, and you're talking about living a nightmare. He's put out on the Isle of Patmos by himself just to grow old and die. But right in the middle of that nightmare, guess what happens? He's taken to heaven, and he sees a lot of different things. That's why he wrote 22 chapters in Revelation, because you know why? Because his head was in the right place. His head was on the rock. Amen? And a lot of times we get our heads in the clouds. We've got our heads in the wrong place. But uh, I think you can, you can take that for what it's worth and get a lot out of the different areas. You, y'all know what I'm saying. Y'all with me. Just having a spirit of I won't quit. Now, he could have been on the island and just quit and gave up. Joseph could have been in the prison and just quit and gave up. A lot of you right there where you're at this morning, today, last week, next week, there's opportunities to quit and just to give up. You're not a failure unless you quit. Like I said, anything worth doing right is worth failing at. You're going to try and get up and try again. You're going to get knocked down and get up and try again. They're trying to keep you out of the goal line. When I say they, I'm talking about Satan and all his cohorts. Just keep pushing forward. A spirit of I won't quit. Even when God seems silent sometimes, just having a spirit of I won't quit. Just like Joshua and Caleb had a spirit of I won't quit. And even when he is silent, even when things don't make sense, and even when adversity is, you know, the nightmare just seems it can't get any worse, just stick to the dream. Just stick to the word of the Lord. So you can go by what he said or you can go by what others said. Joshua and Caleb went by what the Lord said. But you think about this. There's millions of people that were right there with Joshua and Caleb that went by what 10 people said. 10 people's opinions kept them out of the promised land. Just 10 people's. But Joshua and Caleb had a different spirit. They didn't go by their opinions. You talking about a nightmare? When you know the promised land's right there, that you're well able, because they said we're well able, and they were well able. You know why? Because God said, go take the land. That you're well able. But, but the opinions of 10 people kept millions of them from doing it. Can you imagine living there knowing that just right over there is the land flowing with milk and honey, but I'm just stuck here with all these doubters and unbelievers and you can't do anything about it? Except wait till they die? That's a nightmare. But they lived the nightmare. And guess what happened? After the nightmare was a dream, wasn't it? When they crossed the Jordan River and went over and took the land. But I want you to think about that. Ten opinions became reality for millions of people. 
Don't let opinions become your reality. David comes on the scene and he's got his slingshot. He's just a little teenage boy about the size of you guys. Got his slingshot. There's a 10-foot giant over there with a sword as big as my leg and an armor. And Saul says, you can't fight him with that. That's an opinion. I can go by Saul's opinion. I can put on this armor or I can just do what God said. We started off there talking about Hagar and uh, in Genesis, the 21st chapter. And Hagar's out there with her son, Ishmael. And she's got one sleeve of water, one skin of water. And they're out in the wilderness. They're out in the desert. They're out there alone. She's got her son, herself. There's no husband around. It's a single parent home. And she's got this one skin of water. And now it's empty. Now she's got nothing. He's going to die. And I'm going to die. We're both going to die. This is a dream that God's given me. And children are precious. They're, they're gifts from God. They're not spawns of Satan. I hear parents say that. It creeps me out when I hear that. They're gifts from God. They're, they're dreams. God's given you this dream. To be a mama, to be a daddy, he's giving you this child. And uh, just like in life, he gives you dreams. But now they're out here in this desert. And uh, how am I going to keep the dream alive? Because I can't even keep myself alive. I don't have any water, I don't have any food, human reasoning. I, I just can't do this. And God's giving some people here some dreams. And. Um, facing adversity and just done all you can do. I'm talking to somebody. But she gave up. Things look bleak. They look really bad. So she put that child under a shrub and he says he walked off a bow shot. What that means is she couldn't stand the sight of seeing what's going to happen to her son. And she didn't want to be in the earshot to hear him crying, crying for his mama. So she walked off and got about a bow shot away because she just couldn't endure the nightmare. Implement yourself into this story. Makes it a lot more real. But God spoke to her. Y'all remember we just read the scripture. Let me go back to it. I want you to see it. She put him on the shrub. She went and sat opposite of him. Sat down across about a bow shot. Let me not see the death of my boy. She lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. I found that interesting. It doesn't even say he heard her crying. But the scripture says she cried and wept, but then it says God heard the voice of the lad. Let me tell you, if God's given you a dream, if he's put something in your hand, 
and you've laid it down and tried to walk off and leave it because you just don't think you can fulfill it, don't think you can do it, or you're using human reasoning and don't understand things, but nevertheless you've just put it on the shelf or placed it somewhere and walked off and left it, that's a God-given dream that's still crying out. It's not dead. It's, it's alive over there crying out and God hears it. God heard the voice of the lad and the angel said to Hagar, out of heaven... He says, fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, hold him with your hand, and I will make him a great nation. The Lord is speaking to somebody this morning saying, hey, you laid your dream down, you laid the promise down, you laid your destiny down for whatever reason it was, but go back over there and pick it up. Right now today, this morning, go back and pick it up. Then he opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. And a lot of times, that's all we need is a guy to get up and preach to you so that you can have your eyes open. So that just a regular, ordinary human being like myself can deliver a word from the Lord to you so that you can have your eyes open and He'll reveal reveal something to you that you haven't seen before. And that's how God works. That's how He speaks to you. That's one of the ways He speaks to you. You're going through a storm... I go through storms. And you know what I do? I keep preaching. I just keep preaching in the storm. I just keep preaching in the storm. Every Sunday I show up and I just keep preaching in the storm. And I say, God will, God will, God will. And whatever storm you're going through in life, you just need to keep on preaching too. You got a microphone at your house. You got one at work. You got one in your car. You got a Bible. Use your Bible. Use your microphone and keep saying, God will, God will, God will. Right through the microphone, God will. Right in the darkness, God will. Right down in the valley, it can't get any deeper. It can't get any darker. I can't get any lonely. More lonely, I can't get any more confused. God will, God will, God will. Right in the nightmare, God will. And you keep on saying God will, and guess what? The dream's going to come true, and you're going to say, God did. God has. If you don't stay in the God will, the God will, the God will, you're not going to say the God did. Amen. You're on, the, you're on the end zone. Satan's trying to stop you. Let me tell you something. You've you got to take authority of this situation. God will. God will. God will. In other words, Satan's not going to get my wife. Satan's not going to get my husband. Take your hands off of him. Take your hands off her. You're not going to get my kids. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. we all going to be saved and our neighbors are going to be saved. You know why? Because God will. God's not going to get my business. No, uh-uh. He's not going to. God will. He's not going to get my house, my car, my vehicles, my health. No, take your hands off that. God will. God will. But it's a nightmare. God will. God will. And you just keep on staying in the God will. Like I said, then after the nightmare, here's the dream. And you'll say, God did. When my wife went into labor... Way too early, and there's three kids taken out over there as big as your hand. That's a nightmare. It is. I know there's worse nightmares because they could have died. But they got tubes running in every which direction, and you can't even touch them. That's a nightmare. When you're a man and you've got all the answers and you're the tough guy, but you can't even help three little babies the size of a Barbie doll, I can't even touch them. That's a nightmare. 
But when you stand on the Word, you say, God will, God will, God will, God God will. 15 years later, you can say, God did. Anna, just come up here by yourself. God's good. And all the time, God's good. When you're speaking things, you don't realize you're prophesying over your own life. God will. God's well able. I'm well able. You stand on God's word. Thank you for listening to this message from Seven Mile Ministry. 